Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, the podcast about anything and indeed everything with your hosts, I'm Dan. And I'm Lou. And yeah, that's the intro. Again, haven't nailed it. I had one in my head and I just <laughs> haven't landed it. It's just these intros, man. We actually need to start script writing for the intros, then try them out and then see what people like. Well, I think we may have said it before, but can people submit? Let's, we'll do it like um, an, an X Factor thing or, or, yeah, or an... Uh, Britain's Got Talent. Give us your intros, and we'll try one out each week. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, oh. if maybe somebody wants to write us something that we can, yeah that we can do, or has got like a little um, casting views type jingle. I know that we did tempt it at first with you and your ukulele at the very beginning. God, what was that like? Forty episodes ago now. <laughs> yeah, well, we're actually we're coming up to a year soon. Our first episode was the nineteenth of September. It was. Yeah, I remember that. And the trailer with the uke went out on the 12th of September. So, yeah, we're coming, we're coming up to that. I might have to dig, dust it down, dig it out, dust it down. <laughs> <Put it in. laughs> yeah. Actually, actually, I'm not saying anything. We might have a unique jingle written for us shortly. That's all I'm ah. saying. Keep it mysterious. Keep it mysterious at that. But yeah, you had a good week? Yeah, it's been all right. Very, very standard. Um, not been as hot, which I'm very thankful for, but haven't been able to use my air conditioner as much because it's not been hot. It's actually been colder outside than it has been. It's colder in my room than yeah. it has been outside, yeah. which has been frustrating. Yeah. Um, but bar in that, yeah, because I am stubborn. Bar in that, I feel like we were going to do from last week grievances of the week. I'm not sure if if I've got grievance. I was going to say... What I did do actually was following on from Aliens. I did watch Signs a couple of days ago. Ah, <laughs> I treated myself to. Uh, it was actually yesterday. Well, I was saying a couple of days ago. Yeah, I watched it yesterday. I I was flicking through Amazon Prime, doing the thing we've said before, taking everything that on my watch list has now become a paid for item <laughs> because I haven't got around <laughs> to watching it. Which left me with about fifty or sixty things left, which I couldn't, I didn't want to watch. I didn't fancy. And then I saw, I saw, um, I think I saw Signs, and I, I fancy a Shyamalan watch. And so I started with Signs just to remind myself. And it's a good film. It's just a very slow burn, isn't it? It is. It is. But I feel there's one scene in it where you get the glimpse on that video, and all of a sudden, I don't know what it is. That scene always resonates with me as one that like makes you like it, it, it like makes you freeze while you're watching the film almost kids party where it's at the kids party yeah yeah that's it yeah walk past and that moment is because i feel like that film's done so beautifully well i mean i don't like the film but that bit's done beautifully well because you don't see anything basically for the whole film and so it's like your first glimpse it's a little bit like cloverfield except i really like cloverfield you don't really see anything you see glimpses here and there and then it's like an oh my god huge payoff at the end yeah no it's, it's good i just forgot how slow slow a burn it was and then um it's like literally the last 10 minutes, they shoehorn every reference from the previous 80 minutes, you know, about the kid having the <laughs> asthma. So that's why the toxin didn't go in and the wife dying the same bat away and the bat being on the wall. It's like, yeah, you could probably watch the last 10 minutes. That's all you have to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a film that could have been an email. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, what, did you have any grievances? No, nothing major pissed me off this week, to be honest with you. There were no multi-pack crisp issues. You're the quite only an angry thing I'll... person as well. I am quite an angry person. The only thing I would say is that in Costco, they do these bulk buys of like boxes of chocolates. And I can't remember what ones they are, but they're like a really flaky thing that come in and they always put more of them in 
So I feel like that's just a grievance <laughs> with food thing that I've got yeah. because then they're always the ones left at the bottom. And in my household, sorry, just going back to the crisps grievances that you had, for some reason, everybody indicates that they like cheese and onion crisps. And I hate cheese and onion crisps. But cheese and onion crisps are the only fucking crisps left in the bag. And then they just get refilled. So downstairs in my kitchen, there's probably <laughs> a box full of 30 bags of cheese and onion crisps where everybody says they like them and nobody eats them. Grim. Hate them. It's my birthday soon. We'll just box them up. Yeah, you know what? It's, yeah, that's it, that's it. That's it. I haven't even had to pay for that present. Jesus. <laughs> well, actually, talking about Chris, you remind me. We're, God, we're going on tangents. I had the opposite of kind of what what happened to me last week, and and a grievance. I had. A, I this is the state of my life. What things make me happy right now? So, so my partner, she always buys me like a multi bag of Walker's squares. We said last week, and I always go through the cheese and onions and the ready salted first. So I get about three multi-packs where it's just the salt and vinegar so I put them all into one bag and I thought at, at one point she goes to me I'm going shopping shall I get some more crisps I said no no let me go through the ones we've got <laughs> I went there pulled out a bag and it was cheese and onion there was an extra one I hadn't got and I, it was like that was like I'd, I'd won the lottery it's like finding a tenner in your jeans isn't it <laughs> yeah. oh and actually talking about the lottery did you see that American prize this week how yeah, big was it was was it 1.2 billion 1.2 billion dollars that is but however i would say it was one ticket it was one ticket and i would say though the only thing with the american lottery is is obviously you spent some time in the states and talked about how their adverts have like huge runoffs i've never been to the states for all of our american yeah. listeners as you previously know i feel like in the small print it's like oh by the way when you claim this if you want your lump sum it's actually 10 percent of what the value is or if you want it over the course of a number of years it's x percentage over the course of 279 years or something <laughs> it's, it's just amazing isn't it because we had here the euro millions was wasn't that the biggest one last week and that was 195 million yeah there was a brit that won that biggest euro millions power in history i think and it's like i was i remember i was um i was actually talking to my mum and saying um like, that's just the immense amount of money to win just like that and then the americans come out with their 1.2 <laughs> billion dollars i mean you know, we talk about things being life changing, but sure, that doesn't that that's got to put you up in like the top X amount of rich people in the world. Sure, yeah, that makes you like aristocracy rich, like straight away. Like you've just skipped like two hundred generations worth of like inherited wealth um, straight to the top. Maybe maybe we need to do an, an episode on lottery. Actually, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about potentially some big lottery winners, kind of what happened, stories, and that sort of thing. Because I remember once there was a huge story about like an America. Is it called the Powerball in the states? I think that's one of them. I think they have lots of regional ones. I think. Yeah, I can't remember. So it would correct, have been the national correct lottery. Correct us, correct us. Yeah, please do correct us. And I think, like, I saw stories when I was at university about, like, $500 million jackpots. So it's nuts to think that in the space of, what, like, five or six years, jackpots are now $1.2 rolling over. But I guess I don't know how many times it's had to roll over to get to that point. Probably once. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll crack over the episode now. And um, before we get into it, we'll do a couple of the adverts. I'll talk about Newsly. Um, Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for both iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about trending topics on the web and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time on the internet, the entire web becomes listenable all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. You can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, or the Kardashians, and probably lottery winners. Um, as we've just been talking about. <laughs> it will find you the latest articles on them and read them to you aloud. And they've also got podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries 
our podcast, Casting Views, is in their featured tab right now. I've started using it as my default podcast app, as they've even got a digital radio on there. So download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in our show notes. And if you use promo code CASTV, that's CASTV, that's also going to be in the show notes, you'll, you'll receive a one-month free premium subscription. And now for our pod spotlight, we're going to hear from someone you've not heard from on the show before. It's Doom Generation. Brilliant podcast. Tessa and Nicole go through 80s and 90s films and pop culture in, in only the way they can. And I'll leave it as that. It's, <laughs> it is a really fun ride. And if you haven't checked them out, their social, uh, their social stuff is brilliant. Their Photoshop skills where they superimpose themselves into scenes of the film. Jaws recently stands out. Is uh, Yeah, check them out. So let's hear from Doom Generation now. Did you grow up with a lack of parental supervision? Do you know all the lyrics to The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Remember Mayor McCheese and the Fry Guys? Have an inexplicable love for the California Raisins? Can you remember Madonna's original face? Then you might be a part of the Doom Generation. Laugh until you cry with us each week as we stumble blindly through the memories of the movie and other random things that doomed us to be the salty, sarcastic, sardonic ladies you want to hang with. You know us. You love us. You can't f***ing live without us. Doom Generation. Available everywhere you find podcasts. Right, and we're back. So, Lou, this week, phobias. Phobias. Are we going to say phobias and fears? Is that how we're going to market it? If that's what you've bought and I haven't asked you beforehand, yeah, we could do phobias (laughs) and fears. Yeah, yeah. Okay, phobias and fears. I know that you usually run through the factual stuff, don't you? Because I don't really come with fact. I come with controversial opinion. (laughs) Yeah, I think we should start off with kind of what the definition of a phobia is. And and I want to, I think, We'll say now, we're going to have obviously a discussion about it. We're not going to make light of specific phobias or people, you know, if, if people do suffer from them. It's, it's kind of more just to discuss the whole subject of phobias, what they are, and what types they are, sort of any phobias or fears that we may have. I've looked at the, actually, rather than using Wikipedia, I've used the NHS website first to see what a phobia is as per their description. And it's an overwhelming and debilitating fear of an object, place, situation, feeling, or animal. Phobias are more pronounced than fears. They develop when a person has an exaggerated or unrealistic sense of danger about a situation or object. If a phobia becomes very severe, a person may organise their life around avoiding the thing that's causing them anxiety. This will, of course, restrict their day-to-day life and can cause a lot of distress. So, for example, under the symptoms element, you've got unsteadiness, dizziness, nausea, sweating, palpitation, the shortness of breath, trembling or shaking, and even an upset stomach. I've got an, an American variation on this, but they've got phobia into two main categories. that specific or simple phobias and complex phobias. A specific or simple center around a particular object, animal, situation or activity and complex phobias, as the word kind of alludes to, they tend to be more disabling than simple phobias, and they usually develop during adulthood and associated with a deep-rooted fear or anxiety about a situation or circumstance. So that's kind of our thought. That's how we're kind of going to frame phobias. So as I said, it is a fear of something, but it becomes more pronounced. And in the past, we've often, I think we've often called it irrational fear about something, haven't we? But I think what that is saying here is that the irrationality of it comes from that you aren't in immediate danger because you could the thing you've got a favor of could be dangerous but 
at that moment, it doesn't present danger. It's like flying is yeah. a common one. Yeah. You could be on a plane or you might not want to get on it because you think the plane's going to crash. But flying, as we know, is, is a safe mode of transport. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly safer than cars. And Yeah. Yeah. So I think the irrational element comes from the fact that you build it up or your mind makes it feel like it is absolutely a dangerous situation to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of kind of phobias and that sort of thing, do you think you suffer with any fears and or phobias? Yeah, I'd definitely say I've, I've had a couple of fears growing up. I've never, well, for for many a time when I was younger, um, I, I didn't particularly like spiders, but I've overcome that. <laughs> the thing about that one is you can kind of get over that by, because they are so commonplace, yeah, you start holding them and you start then picking them up and, and putting them out. And yeah, you can kind of overcome that. So that that was definitely one when I was younger. I don't particularly like wasps because they have a habit of stinging me. So it's not that I've got a fear of them. I've got uh, I've got a feud with wasps. I think I've been stung. I think four times by them. Um, so so I wouldn't necessarily call that phobia. The one I think I did have, which is it's going to seem funny because obviously you've mentioned it before about traveling, but for a few years I really didn't like the thought of flying. Yeah, because I'd had a bad incident on a plane, and. I would still do flying. I would still go flying because I'd know it's the only way you can get to certain places. But I really kind of, I used to, this was years ago. I'm, I'm kind of a lot better now, but I would almost start shutting down before a flight, if you know what I mean. So you go quiet, you just start thinking, you yeah. just wouldn't want anything on a, on a plane. I would just read my book. I'd, I'd buy magazines and that's it. I'd read the book or as soon as a meal came, that was a great distraction because you had something to divert your attention into eating a meal. <laughs> and back then the meals weren't that great either. So. <laughs> Just but eating, even that, I, sorry, go. Just eating stale, stale, um, like lunch style meats on an airplane is like, fuck it, this is the best that I've got to take my mind off it. I bet you spent so much money on the catalogues. <laughs> like, yeah, what can I yeah. buy on the plane to play with? Yeah. <laughs> but I'd say, again, even that. So, you know, we're talking about, so when was the incident on the plane? It was, I was, I was going to Whitley with mum and dad. So this would have been pre- 2000 so yeah we're talking like i was probably about 15 16 and yeah. and it was probably only for about five or six years after that so i wouldn't say i've got a phobia now and any phobias like i said there are certain things that don't like but i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i'm particularly distraught or, or there's any particular scenario that would would distress me right okay okay what about you what about you i think the spiders thing was when i was yeah I, I didn't like spiders when i was young but i couldn't care for them now but i think that that was more so like a nurture thing so my mum's always been terrified of spiders and when you witness mm. someone that's not fond of something you like kind actually, of that's that true and yeah you, your mum being like six years older than me that's probably where i got it from yeah <laughs> yeah no but it is true like i think a lot of a lot of kind of fears probably come from like learned experiences um one thing i would say do you know the flying thing I don't mind flying, but to most people, I think they either see it as two things. They see it as a, an experience that they're fearful of or an experience they really enjoy. So, you know, there's people that are like, oh, I love being in the plane. It's amazing. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's just flying is not an enjoyable experience in and of itself. I'm not scared of flying. I just don't find it something enjoyable yeah. to do. It's just an uncomfortable situation where you're sat on a plane for however many hours yeah. you might be on there. So I just don't enjoy it in that respect, but I wouldn't say I was fearful of it. However, I guess linked to the flying potentially, um, because you're high in the sky. I'm not fond of heights, to be honest with you. I think See, heights has always one, been yeah. one. Yeah. I it's never been 
it never been anything like you know I, I'd never turned around and you know put myself in a situation where I had to be high up, high up just because but then again I think that even when you look at people that do skydiving and base jumps and that sort of thing the level of adrenaline running through a lot of these people means that they have to have an innate fear of these things otherwise there wouldn't be an adrenaline rush to it the height thing actually I'll come back to the height thing flying actually yeah something you said kind of hit home with me what it is with me the flying itself is fine I actually I do enjoy the flying element of it but what it was, the incident I had 20 years ago or whatever, however long ago it was now, was we were at altitude, then we hit some turbulence, which I was fine with, but then the plane kind of tipped. Okay. Then it was it was kind of scary at the time. Obviously, it was all fine as a young and it kind of scared me. And then what it was for years after that, it was fine. The flying itself was fine, but it was when we started hitting turbulence because that's what happened before that event. So... As soon as like the the seatbelt light goes off, I'd be absolutely fine. I'd be like a different person. But then when we hit some turbulence, it was reminding me of that right, event. Okay, like I yeah. thought that would happen. So that's where that came from. The height though, is it, could you be high up and safe and still not like it? And by that, I mean, like in a, in a lookout tower or if you were like really high with a harness, say. Yeah, so I've never had I've never had any issues with being on tall buildings, that sort of thing. Funnily enough, one thing that I really want to do and is completely contradictory based on what I've just said is the Spurs Stadium walk. Do you know where you can oh, walk yeah, up yeah, like Tottenham yeah, yeah. Stadium? Um yeah. I really want to do that, but I feel like I've got no fear in that because it's kind of like, yeah, they strap you to a harness, there's nothing to be worried about. So I've again I'm not particularly fussed with rides and that sort of thing. I would have been when I was younger, but I'm happy to go on roller coasters that take you in the air and that sort of thing. I think it's more an adrenaline rush. I'm just not fond of heights in in terms of yeah. I wouldn't poke my my head off of a cliff. So I went on um, like a break to Somerset and I can't remember what like cliff face it is, but you can just, just all complete cliffs with hundreds and hundreds yeah. of feet drops. But I just wouldn't go near the edge. But maybe that's more so like just me being paranoid about being that person in a film that just slips and like roly polies towards the edge of a cliff or something that's what i was going to say to you about is it a height thing or safety thing because i don't have an issue with heights so you know i'm happy to be at the top of tall buildings look out but where i have had issue is at places kind of like the grand canyon or even yeah. um there was a, another place i can't remember what it was but you are on the edge of like a, a cliff or a mountain and there were stones that people were having photos on and they were going right to the edge of it and th then it was a drop i couldn't do that now it wasn't because i was scared of the height i'm just know that i'm quite clumsy or what if <laughs> a gust of wind happened and it it was the it's good to sound like that classic joke but I'm, i don't mean it like that but you know it wasn't necessarily the height but it was a what if i stumble what if something happens what if i fall it, it so it's the it's not the height, whereas I know some people can't even stand being in a like a like a tall building and looking out over the lookout point. Yeah, because it, for them it's a height. I think for me, and that's why I was going. It sounds the same for you. It's not necessarily the height, but it's the safety element at that height. Yeah, I would agree because during my trip to Somerset, we went to Cheddar Gorge, and obviously there's like a, it's like a huge oh, like, yeah, um, yeah. like road down the middle. It's like a huge just mountain type looking thing i guess it's a gorge that's what it is yeah, um yeah. and again there's like um fences that you can't go past but there are there are moments where there are no fences so you can kind of look over the edge but i think that's more so yeah just a safety thing like i'd just rather not die for the sake of getting a cool pick for the gram um so i think that's more yeah. so what it is 
Although, kind of links to what I did a little bit of reading on. So I wanted to know, obviously, we talked about whether or not fears were something that were learned, because I think for the most part, they are. However, it's accepted that there are two fears that we are born with, every human is born with. Okay. And one of them is the fear of falling. So most fears are developed through cultural beliefs, experiences. Um, Again, it's more so nurture over nature. But apparently it's fear of falling is born. You're born with a fear of falling. And they did experiments with um, children and babies. And they put babies and animals, young animals, on transparent glass. And most of the animals and babies were afraid to step onto it, which was beyond like the edge that was solid, if that makes sense. So, you know, like a... um, Blackpool Tower you've got like a glass um, bit that you can look straight down onto the street most animals and babies refused to go onto that piece of glass um, which was obviously indicative that it was a fear that was innate because you would have no experience of having a fear of falling Um, and I think it's more so the fear of of the safety thing so I think maybe I'm getting away with my fear because I was born with it and there's nothing I can do with it Um, the second one is a fear of loud noise so generally speaking if you hear a firework go off when you're not expecting it you do jump if you hear a car backfire or just something loud that you didn't expect it does tend to make you afraid basically in that period of time and that's apparently because it's your body's fight or flight response kicking in so it's basically your body turning around and saying loud noise you should run because there's probably danger so again studied with babies who if you make loud noises around babies they don't know what it is it's immediately fearful like their pupils dilate and everything and they want to run but they can't because they're children <laughs> but yeah that's, that's interesting actually i didn't know that about the being born fear. i mean the last one is funny uh we've been using i've used her a couple of weeks now i think my mum is terrible with the noise <laughs> isn't she the loud noise you know and anything and she's out yeah she, she thinks there's something outside and i'm wondering if that is then just the natural like you said element that maybe she's just had yeah because that's the thing you know unless you've been through what was probably a particularly traumatic experience in terms of like you know maybe like a car accident where everything's particularly loud in reality everybody is you could turn around and pop a balloon in a room full of people everybody would jump and not all of those people will have had terrible experiences with loud noise a lot of them would have gone to festivals where it's loud and watched firework displays where it's predictable but all of them would jump by virtue of the fact that it's their body turning around and saying what is that should i be scared I also had a little bit about gender difference in fear, because there is one. Now, you might have picked up the same study, 1996. I know this is like going back 25 years, but it was the only one that looked reasonably reliable that that I could quote from, basically, because at Casting Views, we give you facts, not fiction. Um, (laughs) So um, this was done in 1996, and it was... um, basically a phobia for lots of different things so lighting enclosed spaces darkness flying heights snakes spiders injections dentists or injuries um were defined if subjects reported a fear that was out of conscious control interfered with life and led to the avoidance of the feared object um so they basically assessed fear intensity um using visual analog scales and they cutting to the point said that the total prevalence for any specific phobia was 19.9%, so 20% across both genders. However, 26.5% for females or 12.5% for males. So in total, 21% of women and 10% of, 10.9% of men met criteria for any specific phobia. And then multiple phobias reported in 5.4% of 
women and 1.5% of the men, which means that statistically women are double as likely or twice as likely to have yeah. a phobia, basically. Based on this one study, I'm just going to caveat. Yeah. Obviously, done in 1996, I've got to caveat. Please don't cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I got. I didn't actually get the, the year it was done, but I was just trying to find a few facts and figures. And said an estimated 9.1% of US adults had a specific phobia in the past year. And the prevalence of a specific phobia amongst adults was higher for females. That was 12.2% than for males at 58 So it almost matches your figures there. So, but but it, it's still in the sense of it's twice as much for women, yeah, yeah, uh, females yeah. and men. They estimate that 12.5% of US adults will experience a specific phobia at some point in their lives. And from, again, a health website here in the UK, it's estimated that 10 million people have a phobia. Wow. Yeah, it is a lot, but I guess it kind of mars up with what is like 20% of the population then really just under 20% of the population. Um, it is a lot, and it'd be interesting to know what the breakdown of those fears is. So, for instance, uh, is it a case of animal phobias? Is it a breakdown of like environmental ones like dark, loud noises? I've got the top, it makes it sound like a countdown. I've got the top <laughs> 10 in the UK at, put forward by Push Doctor. Okay, I tell you what then. With the top 10, if I throw a couple at you and you confirm whether or not they're on there. Yeah, give me one second. Okay, yep. Okay, so I feel like Heights has got to be there. Heights is there. Yeah, I don't know if this list is in order, but Height is number one on there. And that is acrophobia. Acrophobia. Oh, sorry. The other thing I did pick up when reading phobia is, I know it sounds obvious, but it is the word phobia, which means fear. What it is then is the Latin word for whatever the fear is of is before it. Which is ah. why you have arachnophobia. Who knows? Like see, see, not only are we coming with facts to support our things, we're giving history lessons out here on Casting Views. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give the, what we would call it, and then the correct term for it. But yeah, so heights is acrophobia. According to the most recent survey from market researchers, YouGov, heights are Britain's biggest fear. It's the most oh, common wow. phobia. And nearly a quarter of the population report are reportedly very afraid of being up high, while a further 35% are a little afraid. Many people incorrectly call this phobia vertigo. Actually, the medical term is acrophobia. Some people don't really like being off the ground at all. So anything from a wall to a tall building could bring on uh, an anxiety attack. So yeah, you've got number one there. Wow. See, banging. And we're coming with predictions as well. I've just Googled as well. Vertigo is a symptom rather than a condition in itself because um, vertigo is the yeah. sensation that you or the environment around you is moving or spinning. So I guess that gives you the sense of like, that's that's you when you get to a high place, kind of getting that like almost like sickly feeling because everything's a little bit, yeah, unsteady. Yeah. I think spiders would have to be on this list. Arachnophobia. Yeah. Here we go. On the list, it's, what is it? One, two, three, four, five. Yep, so spiders, arachnophobia. Around 18% of us admit to being petrified of our eight-legged friends. Uh, You might not know that arachnophobia isn't limited to spiders either. It includes all types of arachnids, including scorpions and daddy longlegs. I feel like scorpions are more so in the category of like cute arachnids then, as opposed to like scary ones. Well, well, you could call them cute if you want, but Right, what else would we have? I've got a more so left field, but I think it's on the basis because I can't swim. Is a fear of water on there, like open bodies of water? Not here, not in the UK, no. Oh, wow, damn, okay, okay. 
I, I'm struggling for what else I could imagine. If for each one, if you guess and get wrong, I'll do the next one. So number two on the list is public speaking. Ah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I can get That's on that one. That's called glossophobia. Apparently, 20% of Britons have this. The prospect is simply too terrifying to think about. Um, interestingly, YouGov stats reveal women are over twice as likely to be very afraid of public speaking compared to men. For some people, the chance of, the chance of failure, but be it not getting a job or looking silly, put so much pressure that it feels impossible. I can understand that one as well, because that's more so like a pressure thing as well. It's a it's a culmination of lots of different things that mean that public speaking becomes difficult. So it's a thought process behind, yeah, like you just said about making a mistake. It's, you know, I can't imagine I've never spoken to 20,000 people before. There are obviously people where it's going to come naturally to them, right? I've done sort of presentations at work and I'm not saying it's to, to hundreds or thousands of people, but you know, it is. A, I think it starts off with, yeah, you just don't want to make a fool of yourself. That's what yeah, it is. So yeah. yeah, that that's that's what it is. It's not the fear of of actually being in front. I mean, you and I, we could talk all night, but it's it's, <laughs> it's not the fact of talking. It's it's the fact of yeah, you just don't want to look silly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, I've got one that I think definitely needs to be there, and that's a fear of enclosed spaces and claustrophobia. Yes, we do have. That enclosed spaces, claustrophobia. According to Anxiety UK, up to 10% of us will experience claustrophobia in our lifetime. It occurs when we become anxious in an enclosed space, despite the fact we're not in danger. Um, examples include being in a lift, public toilet, changing room, or a revolving door. Now, I've never thought I've suffered from claustrophobia. There was only one time where I thought I may have been, but I think that was probably just a heat. We were on holiday and we were in a cave and it was quite a touristy cave. You, you're walking through and it was really narrow. And, and obviously, because it's a cave, you're kind of underground and enclosed. And the exit, you had to get on a boat that took you to a river that took you out. Now, the queue to get out, there were so many people. It was like half hour, 40 minutes. And I was, I just happened to be caught in the queue in a really awkward bit where I was having to duck down because there was like a, a thing jutting down from the roof. And I started almost feeling like I just needed to get out, like I needed to to, to to break out. Now, I think it was though part of that was though just being like stuck in a space like that for half hour with it heating up with loads of people. Yeah. I was gonna, I was going to ask, has claustrophobia ever been or have you ever been in a situation where, you, you know, you're either stuck in a lift or you in know a what? really enclosed space? Yeah. When I was younger, I had a thing for lifts, but that's again because I had a bad, I don't care now. Um, because I've just used so many lifts. In fact, that um, I actively avoid stairs because now I'm lazy. Um, so lifts are great. Um, but when I was young, I had an instance where it felt like a lift had just stopped mid-floor and that you were trapped. But that was more so of like, I was young and it was like, oh my God, who's going to help me? Da, 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 da. Um, and so I didn't like lifts for a period of time, but I've never had that. But in terms of tight spaces, I've never really had an issue. Don't get me wrong. I'd never be one to go into those caves, you know, like caving where you've got to like breathe hey, in. Man. Yeah, and and, yeah. and breathe out just to squeeze your your torso through a thing. Um, I wouldn't never do that, but I've never had a real issue. I don't think with tight spaces. It's not necessarily something I've ever ever thought about. I guess, but maybe I've just never been in a situation where I've had it. Although, sorry, now I'm going off on a huge tangent. I would say that I didn't like public. Tra do you know, like at the height of the COVID pandemic, I didn't like being on public transport. But that was more so a combination of not wanting to get COVID. And yeah, the fact yeah. that it was a tight space and it was more likely. So I would put that more so down to like the whole COVID risk thing. And that's what I'm saying. I think a lot of people like we're explaining here, 
there's a a fear of something else rather than it being the fear that we're talking about. So like you said, it wasn't in close space for you. It was just because COVID was, there yeah. was a panic about that at the time. And that's what I'm saying for me in that example I gave. I don't, I'm not saying it was claustrophobia. I think it was just being in a in an environment where it was heating up and getting really fed up with the fact that I was yeah. stuck there for like four minutes. I've, um, oh, caving, you've just sparked something in my mind again. TikTok, again this week, I saw a video. <laughs> I love TikTok. That's my go-to for everything now. I did, like here years ago, I did a caving experience, but it wasn't like proper caving. Basically, they took you to on top of this kind of like cliff. It may have been in Bristol or something near where you went, like Cheddar Gorge and that. Yeah. And they took you to this tiny crevice up above ground and then they lowered you into it. And basically they lowered you into a totally pitch black cave. And then you had to use a little light and walk your way out of it. Now, you know, it was it was fine because yeah, the the, the descent bit was really tight. But you knew, obviously, you were there with a company. They they were putting you into an open cave, so it was fine. I saw a video this week on TikTok of this guy, and he could barely fit through. And he was doing that, and that was his his enjoyment. I was thinking, my God, you know, all you need is to get caught, something like, you know, because yeah. he's moving his camera up and then pulling himself up and then <laughs> moving his camera. I was like, you just need to get caught, or if he twisted an ankle while he was pulling himself, anything could happen. Yeah, I feel like that, though, is more so like of of us just being reasonable humans and not wanting to put ourselves in a situation of like risk or like danger to life, basically. Yeah, I think that that's just us being sensible. I'm going to give you one off the list now. The third one on here is snakes. This is for the UK. Yeah, yeah. Ophidiophobia. See, now, sorry, can I just say with this one and you're going to give the explanation for it. I don't really get this one only because snakes are not a thing in this country and are not we we don't have instances of deadly venomous snakes. We're not Australia. And when was the last time you snore a snake in your life? (laughs) Is what I would say. I think the thing with snakes has come from one in the past, some like horror films. Yeah. And two, you know, in films, they are made to look evil and they're made to look, you know, they're not necessarily yeah. slithery, you know, they, that, that's the thing. People always think they're like slime and horrible to touch, but they're not. They're really smooth. Yeah, if you've yeah. ever held a snake, they're really smooth. Here it says humans have evolved their fear of snakes over many years to avoid being bitten by one. While there are no poisonous snakes in Britain and plenty of us will never have seen one outside a zoo or reptile house, which is like you said, some people can't shake off the reaction. And a sizable 52% of Brits have some sort of snake phobia, making it the third most common phobia. See, that's a crazy statistic. I find that hard to believe that one. Yeah, Yeah, I do as well. But I feel like if you were to ask somebody who and, and they said, yeah, I've got fear of snakes and you say why, it'd be a case of I don't like them. But again, it's like what what has ever been your lived experience? So it must all be a media cultural thing. thing. Like Samuel L. Jackson has done a lot of good work, but the worst thing he did for society was make fifty two percent of Brits scared of snakes because of that plane. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but that's exactly it. It's like I thought, and and the true I thought the true kind of like definition of a phobia was that you needed to have had some sort of experience or a trigger point for it. And and like you said here, the majority of us will never see a snake in in the wild here. We just won't. So why, yeah, like you said, I think it's the it's just the way the media have portrayed it and films have portrayed it. Yeah. That's quite a powerful like thing though, isn't it, in and of itself, the fact that like a country that doesn't have poisonous or venomous snakes that can't do any damage to you has got 52% of its citizens afraid of that thing. Very, very yeah. strange. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I mentioned it at the end, I mean, phobias can be treated 
there's a number of ways. So you, you can go from the like we said, like we said at the start with spiders, you just do it yourself. Like if it is something as simple as spider, you can get closer to one, you can pick one up. It lifts you like you mentioned years ago about the lift. The easier way around that well, I say easy, but the way around that would be you keep trying to use a lift, whether initially it's with someone else or not. Then there are various things like cognitive behavioural therapies, and then there are I think you can have certain drugs to treat treat them. So this is what we're saying. A phobia of snakes, don't know how how you would treat that because you haven't had potentially let's say potentially some people might have that experience to make yourself afraid of it. So I don't know what the best way of treating that would be. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I'd struggle to see that how you'd get over that when your experience hasn't come from any like physical when your fear has come from no physical experience. I'm gonna talk about something afterwards now because that's just reminded me I'm gonna to have to type it down because I can't remember it exactly and I'm gonna forget it. But do you um, want to do it now? I tell you what, yeah. Do you ever remember there was a program on British TV and we should do an episode entirely entirely on stuff like this anyway. But it was called like Facial Fears or something like that. It had Davina McCall and it was like in a studio and what it was, it was all members of the public that had fears. So if you had a fear of like, you know, pigeons, they'd just lock you in a room with pigeons basically and just see how long Never you could do no, or they'd no. like make you drive over like would drive a car over like a tight two tight ropes over a canyon strapped to a harness to make you get over it i'll have to find it and we'll have to talk about it at some point because it's, it's in terms of ethically you you would never get you would never be able to do that now but i know that flooding is like a particular like psychological way to deal with fears so flooding would basically be so if somebody had a fear of snakes you literally just lock them in a room with snakes until they basically either have a heart attack or they're over it. Right. And I know that's ridiculous, okay. but it's true. Flooding results in that sort of thing because it's a, a huge stressor. But what it does is you will get to a point at which you are comfortable. I've not seen that program. It sounds very much like a Channel 5. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. Well, it was Davina McCall, so it must have been Channel 4 or something, wasn't it? For any yeah. UK listeners, you know what I mean by by when I say that, but but yeah, look, looking at it here, you've got treatments are therapy, systematic desensitization, medication, and hypnotherapy. We've mentioned one fear. I mentioned one right at the start. That's that's on this list. Oh, flying. Yeah, yeah. So oh, flying. God, yeah, yeah. Aerophobia. According to YouGov, around 24% of Brits have some form of anxiety about getting on the plane. Uh, you might think this is more about a fear of crashing than a fear of flying itself. However, aerophobia is more complex than it first appears. While it's true that some people do worry about something going wrong with the plane, others suffer from anxiety about an internal loss of control. In other words, they're worried about what other passengers will think of them if they cause a scene during a panic attack, which I didn't think about, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit more reasonable just in terms of like reasoning for it. But again, it kind of falls back to the fact that it's not necessarily the act or the action in and of itself. It's something linked to it. Yeah, but would that then be fear of flying or is that... We'll come on to it later, actually, because there is an interesting phobia I'll mention afterwards. <laughs> So we've mentioned spiders, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, we have. I'll tell you what, I've got one more that I've got to suggest and then I'm okay. all out. Is fear of death one? No. Oh, that, how can 52% of Brits be scared of snakes but not fear dying? <laughs> well, yeah. The other big one is, uh, well, you mentioned claustrophobia. So the other one would be... Claustrophobia. I'm really drawing a blank. Opposite, you're, looking, opposite... you're looking at me through the screen like you're such a fucking idiot. <laughs> No, 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 no. So it's the opposite of claustrophobia is of crowds or being outside. Oh, um, right. Okay. And Sorry, that's, right. Yeah, there, that's yeah. agoraphobia. <laughs> um, we often think of, we 
often wrongly think of agoraphobia as a condition that prevents someone leaving their house. As with other phobias, it's more than that. Agoraphobics might get anxious in any situation where it's difficult to get away. This can be a large open space, but it can just as easily be somewhere like a shopping centre or public transport. Anxiety Forum, no more panic claims that as many as one in eight people experience agoraphobia in some form, so it's more common than we give it credit for. And again, this is fascinating to me because I'm reading this for the first time as well here. So agoraphobia, I've always thought of was about going outside. And there was a classic, there was a sitcom here in, in the early 2000s, I think, where it was about a guy who didn't want to leave his flat. And if he did, he would have a, a panic attack. But it's not that. It's about being in a situation that you can't easily escape from. Yeah, I can kind of I can kind of get on that. But as well, do you not think that like the fear of crowds, for instance, so let's, let's say you're packed in a crowd, is also kind of a level of claustrophobia as well, because it's a combination of the big open crowd, but then fearing not being able to get out because you're enclosed. So it's kind of almost like feels like a mix. Potentially, because we've been to like football games here and yeah, as you're trying to get out the exit, it can be quite crammed, can't it? Yeah, or getting on a tube and being able to smell on the breath of what the person had for breakfast that day because you're crammed so next to it so tightly with them. Yeah, yeah, it can be, yeah, difficult. I went a few weeks back to Liam Gallagher at Nebworth and I got there late because I didn't want to be there from the start. And the bit where I needed to get to when we got there was the complete opposite side of the entrance. So try walking your way through 80,000. No, how, what, how many people was it? It was 80,000 people, I think, wasn't it? Something close to that, yeah. So yeah, that, that takes a bit of time to get through. And yeah, I like you said, I think if anything, it's more a mix of, yeah, claustrophobia with then the being unable to get away. Yeah, yeah. The next one on the list was something we spoke to Matt about when we did our horror episode. God, the horror episode. Uh, Fear of the Dark. That is on there, actually. It's not the one I was going for, but that's the last one. That's called Nyctophobia. N-Y-C-T-O. Nyctophobia. This is interesting. This goes back to what I was saying about snakes. The entertainment industry has certainly led us to believe that there's a link between darkness and scariness. Where it's a film, book, video game or TV show, bad things tend to happen in the dark. Um, you might think that being afraid of the dark is something you grow out of. It seems not. YouGov's data suggests that people in their late 20s and 30s are most likely to leave a light on with 5% stating they were very afraid of the dark. See, do you know what I would say about that one? Is You know, when we talked about evolutionary fears of falling and of loud noises, I'm really surprised that a fear of the dark isn't an evolutionary one. Because you would think from the context of not being losing what is one of your main senses would just immediately make you fearful because you cannot you you've lost one of your abilities to survive basically in 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 the wild i guess if that makes sense so i guess the darkness thing i would have probably i was surprised when it wasn't on the list of being one that was um evolutionary when you when you spoke about the evolutionary one the first thing i thought of before you said them was darkness but then i wonder back in the day we didn't have electricity i wonder if we we as in people overcame the fear of the dark because we were constantly plunged into darkness yeah this is true and i guess as well there would have been a period of time where darkness just meant bed which meant like rest anyway if that makes sense so you would have gone to bed with the darkness and awoken with the sunlight so i guess there would have been less of a an innate fear but i guess that's what like the woman in black and insidious does for you nowadays one i was mentioning was clowns (laughs) oh yeah so okay, this, fair enough. this is spelled C-O-U-L-R-A. So what's that? Cool, coolrophobia. Okay, um, yeah. 
Yeah, and in 2016, the country was hit by a spooky series of pranks in which people dressed as clowns jumped out unsuspected passerby. This can't have been very pleasant for the 12% of the population who suffer from a genuine phobia of clowns. There's a theory that people don't like clowns because of their presence in fictional horror stories, such as it. So, God, the media and films and, and books can really play havoc with people, can't it? It's amazing, yeah. really. I mean, in reality, if there's one thing that it's taught us is that all of these fears have been nurtured into us opposed to anything else. Like These are all yeah. things that commonly you've seen in television and in media um, and have all been things that have been like drilled into you to like change the wiring of your mind. Because I would imagine as well, if you'd have asked like, if you asked like the grandparents whether or not they're fearful of the dark, I imagine they would all say no, because like the three grandparents that I have have never, have never been ones for scary films and or TV and that sort of thing. So it just never would have been something that they came across. So yeah, I guess it's, 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 it is a pretty scary thing. As we talk about this though, is it, is it the fear of the dark or is it the fear of, we know a lot of crime happens in the dark? Yeah, that could also be true as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, th- this is the thing. This has actually been really enlightening. A lot of these phobias aren't actually the phobia. Like we said with agoraphobia, it isn't going outside. It's a- being able to get away. So is the fear of the dark more a fear of one being a victim of crime or, or crime happens then? Yeah, and I guess that that's probably still kind of a media thing because as we as time goes on, like we get news flood like pumped straight to us. So it's a case of our oh, burglary here or murder there, and it's all happened yeah. between the hours of our uh, twelve and three a.m. or something like that. So you immediately associate the the thing of crime with with the it darkness. Goes back to films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Whenever you, whenever you see like a break in film, it's never anything that happens in the day, is it? <laughs> Like, no, and they always cut the power. Yeah, night. yeah, that's what it is. They cut the power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last one on this list was mice and rats, musophobia. Okay. Legend has it. Yeah, legend has it. You're never more than 20 feet away from a rat. Well, this is overstating things a bit. The uncomfortable truth for muso- musophobes is that there are a lot of mice and rats in the UK. While we don't see them very often, that hasn't stopped 9% of the population from becoming very afraid of them with a further 17% classing themselves as a little afraid. But again, going back to something you said, the last couple of mentions, so clowns and mice and rats, I can't imagine a lot of people have had bad experience with either. Yeah, I mean, if if at one point in human history, you would have said that a fear of rats would have been reasonable because they spread plague. But yeah, obviously yeah. nowadays, that's not something that we need to contend with. So, you know, it, I, I guess the thing of rats is, have I ever seen a rat in my life? I don't think I've ever seen a rat in my life. Have I seen mice? Yeah, because, you know, mice, I've owned a cat. Like I've had cats in my life, so they've got out and murdered them. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't say that it's something that I was fearful of. But again, I, I feel like that's because I've never had a bad experience with them. But maybe that's again because of film and TV, isn't it? Like, you know, you see rats spread disease or you see like rats being like dirty creatures yeah. in film and TV, apart from Ratatouille. Um, they did rats a really good service in that film. There was something I just had on this page here about some stats as well. So I'll repeat some, but it was just to add a bit more context around them. So specific phobias affect 6 to 8% of people in the Western world and 2 to 4% in Asia, Africa and Latin America in any year. Social phobia affects 7% of people in the United States and 05 to 2.5% of people in the rest of the world. Agoraphobia 
affects 1.7% of people. As we said, women are affected by phobias twice as often as men. The typical onset of a phobia is around 10 to 17, and rates are actually lower with increasing age. But yeah, there was just a bit more around kind of like the, the figures. So 6 to 8% of people in the Western world at any any given time. See, and that's probably still indicative to kind of what's been the consistent theme throughout this is that our exposure to media, film, television is probably a little bit more than the rest of the world in terms of our indulgence in it. So it must be, yeah, it must be a link between literally just what we're being shown on TV and stories that you hear through television media um, that's that's creating these things. It's probably something that nobody's really talked about in any serious way and said, why why is it that this is statistically different from the rest of the world? I did have something, because you know when we were talking about the fear of flying and it said it was about the fear of people seeing you having an attack. There, there is actually one called phobophobia which is a fear of having a phobia but <laughs> right it's not it's not the fear of becoming scared of something it's actually a fear of having the sensations that are associated with a phobia so phobophobia is a fear of fear itself but more specifically of the internal sensation associated with phobia and anxiety like having a panic attack or the anxiety or that nervousness so it's more about that rather than the fear of developing another fear, which in and of itself was an interesting one to have picked up because there are some unusual, I think, in this day and age, that I think we're developing more phobias, if you know what I mean, because there are more things coming into our lives now. Yeah, yeah. If I give you one here, this one, well, you won't guess it, but there's one called nomophobia, N-O-M-O. And I can ask you to guess, but would you would you have a clue? You, you, no, there's no, no reason why you would do from that name. But think about the modern day and age. Nomophobia. Yeah, you, the the name won't give anything away. But what what if we're talking about a modern day? Something to do with like tech or phones, maybe. Yeah, yeah, the last one. Yeah, it's, something, it's is it something to do with like like losing your phone? Well, yeah, the fear of not having a mobile phone. <laughs> amazing, amazing. We've got kinomortophobia is a fear of zombies. <laughs> it's, a, it's just a fear of something that just doesn't exist. There's, oh, I'm really sorry about pronunciation. Aulophobia is the fear of flutes. <laughs> is, is that more common than other brass instruments? Well, yeah. Neophobia is a fear of new things and experiences. That one makes a little bit more sense because that one's going into like a situation of like if you're generally somebody who doesn't like experiencing social new things. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's more like a social yeah. anxiety thing. So I kind of get that one. Right, I'm going to try break this one down. I should have prepped for this. Arachibutyrophobia. Arachibutyrophobia. Anyway, fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> I actually did look at this one and then it talked about how there are some people that only consume small amounts of peanut butter at a time and then others that do not consume peanut butter for that specific reason and phobia. But what's interesting, again, it's when you look deeper into it, it it's a fear of potentially choking that can happen. It's either the right, fear of sticky okay. texture or choking. So this is, again, this is kind of what's been kind of quite eye-opening for me here well because i guess anything in and of itself can be a phobia because it's it's not so much a case of 
a particular thing being scary but it's all the things that come along with it so your your a person's reaction to a fear of peanut butter sticking to the top of their mouth could be the same as you putting somebody in a plane 15,000 feet up and making them jump out of it their body response their fight or flight response yeah. can be the same it's just that particular set of circumstances triggers differently in their mind yeah it's like this one here when on the face of it you might hear it and think well that that sounds a funny one it's caligynephobia and it's the fear of beautiful women. <laughs> no, I'm so glad I don't. <laughs> I haven't got anything here, but I guess it's again goes back to maybe social awkwardness and the fear of approaching maybe and, and having that interaction maybe. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Also, you've given me a really good opportunity to get some brownie points because if I had that fear, I'd have to break up with my girlfriend. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, yeah, yeah. I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's the one other listener outside of me and you. <laughs> Plutophobia is the fear of money. Dextrophobia is the fear of having objects to your right. And on the left side would be levophobia. There's one more I wanted to mention. And I only mention it because it feels quite ironic. And whoever named this feels like they they were trolling this, this phobia, it sounds like. So it's the fear of long words. And the technical term is one of the longest words in a dictionary right <laughs> so the fear of long words has got one of the longest words and it's hippopotomonstrosis quipidelli no try again hippopotomonstrosis quipidaliophobia now yeah. put that on a scrabble board and watch your opponent flip it <laughs> even its other name it's got a different name is sesquipedalophobia still quite long the apparently the 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 american psychiatric association doesn't officially recognize this phobia instead hippopotomonstrosis quipedaliophobia is considered a social phobia <laughs> that, see now do you know what it is that is genuinely the person that discovered it taking the piss it has to be that's why i wanted to highlight this because again in and of itself it's it's quite an unusual, um, and I'm just going to put it in the chat for you so you can see that. <laughs> in and of itself, it's an interesting or an unusual phobia. But then the fact that they've given it one of the longest words, or you know, one longest <laughs> word, just feels it just feels mean. Yeah, this is what it is. Imagine your doctor; you've got a fear of long words, and they diagnose you and they say, "I'm really sorry, but you've got hippopotamonstrosoquipedia." Daliophobia, and all of a sudden you've got a patient screaming in the room in front of you. Like yeah, it's just uh, not, not because you, you know all the other ones: arachnophobia, claustrophobia, agoraphobia, nyctophobia, and then this one is you know I, I don't know how many letters in there, but it feels like feels like it's got half the alphabet in there. <laughs> I've got one which kind of links to the whole social thing about like society taking it as a fear. However, there's a number of cultures in which this is a thing. So specifically in relation to the UK, and I don't know if this is a fear in America, um, Triske, <laughs> this is ridiculous, Triske decaphobia is a fear of the number 13. This comes from a kind of a couple of different places. So Christian traditions have it that the last at the Last Supper, Judas, who was the disciple who betrayed Jesus, was the 13th person to sit at the table. And it carries almost like a curse. There were other things that kind of came about to do with lunar calendars having 13 months in some years, whilst Gregorian calendars and lunar Islamic calendars always had 12 months. Um, there's a specific fear of Friday the 13th, and that's called Parascav... 
verdecatriophobia or frigatriscaidecophobia. Um, who writes these words? I don't know. Um, well, I guess they're Latin. And in reality, it's true. So they used a couple of examples. So in Formula One, no car carries the number 13. Microsoft skipped over Office 13, didn't they? Or are planning to skip on over Office 13. And there's um, loads of instances in which elevators in hotels won't have the 13th floor or won't have a room 13. Again, it's similar in lots of different countries. So I know in Italy, I think it's 17 that's an unlucky number, isn't it? I think 13 is lucky. Yeah, 13 is the lucky one in Italy and 17 is unlucky. Because I know that there's a number of football clubs who do not allow any players to wear the number 17 because it's unlucky. In Korea, Japan and China, it's number four. So it's not uncommon for buildings to have no fourth floor and no floor have a a digit four. So it will go from room 13 to room 15 or room 39 to room 51 or room 50, sorry. The 13 thing, we're kind of close to also talking about superstitions, which is another episode we could do. (laughs) My first house was in a street where it didn't have the number 13. It went 12A and 12B. It didn't have 13. No way. I wonder if that's because, like, if people check into these places or, like, you go into uh, a room, you just don't want people have come out so many times and said, I don't want this room. Yeah, you do think it. I mean, that's the only street I necessarily know of. It it was really weird because I'd not seen it before. Maybe there is a fear that it's going to devalue because nobody wants a, a 13. Yeah, well, again, see, on that um, on that note, and with the Italian number 17, so the reason that it's um, unlucky is because when viewed as Roman numerals, it can be rearranged as a VIXI, which in Latin means I have lived and basically implies that your life is over, basically. Right, right. Um, so a lot of buildings don't have 17 floors. And also... if Air Italia or El Italia doesn't have a row 17 on its aeroplanes and German wings also doesn't because they fly to a lot of Italian destinations. And also Renault sold its R17 model as the R177. So it must be because people are so either fearful or superstitious that it actually has like an economic impact as well, doesn't it? Yeah, but doesn't that kind of potentially... I don't want to say encourage the fear, but when you start doing things like this, does it not make it more of a thing to people who maybe are looking at it and saying, well, okay, well, if an airline is taking out row 13. Yeah, yeah. It almost like gives legitimacy to what is like the irrational part of the fear. Yeah, because I think I've sat on a row 13 and it's just a number like you said a lot of these yeah i think we've got an episode here actually but a lot of these you said go back into almost like religious thing and a lot of people aren't overly religious so are people who are saying that that oh friday the 13th be careful do they are they aware of the roots of friday the 13th and yeah if they're yeah. not so religious then it shouldn't apply to them yeah 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 i agree i agree something i was going to say actually before we I don't know. Did you have much more? I did have one instance of a cultural phobia, and this is only because this is something that I learned at school as well. So this is about fans. So most commonly um, treated as a belief in fan death, it's a phenomenon that's present in Korea most predominantly, and also to an extent in Japan. 
Now, it's not necessarily exclusive to these cultures because I think in a lot of like your, Swi- uh, your Sweden's, Finland's, there's been um, worries about air conditioning. So basically, it's a fear of desk fans causing death, pretty much. Oh, okay. So okay. Um, it's basically like the the instance of like a wind-based illness. So if you look at a couple of different cultures, so there are some ancient Chinese medical texts which warn readers of wind insanity and even wind stupidity. Um, And in actual fact, I didn't know about this. So there's variations of these beliefs. So in Italy, people wear scarves to protect against colpo d'aria, which is like a hit of air because it's seen as like something that's negative to you. And in the Czech Republic, some people fear the wind from air conditioners and refrigerators, believing they cause rheumatism, among other health issues. And again, how many times has somebody turned around and said, oh, you're going to catch a catch a death or catch a catch chill a, or something? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. When in actual fact, there is no evidence to support that you walking out is going to do anything negative. So again, most extreme form of these illnesses are found in Korea where it's called fan death, and it's a belief that running a fan in an enclosed room will actually kill you. So it dates back as early as 1927, when there was a story called Strange Harm from Electric Fans, and it was printed in the domestic and international daily newspaper, and it warned readers that the new technology came with a risk of nausea, facial paralysis, and even asphyxiation. So... 50 years later, so this was now in the 70s, there was um, a news report that somebody had actually died with a fan directed at them overnight. And that was the cause of the death. Now, there's issues with how it was reported and whether or not it was actually that or whether or not it was basically like lost in translation or whether or not it was a newspaper just doing it for the sake of getting readers. Um, But it got to the point where fans in Korea do come with timers so that you can't leave them on for indefinitely basically now a lot of people think that the fan death myth was basically created by the south korean government to basically curb the use of electricity during the 1970s so they basically had an energy crisis and they didn't want people using electricity unnecessarily in their minds um and so the instance of fan death because it was particularly hot they thought would curb people's usage of it but it's still something that maintains and you will find lots and lots of fans that come with automatic timers that will just switch off after a certain period of time. Blimey. And that's again, like a cultural one. So from, in terms of yeah, prevalence, yeah. apparently with exposure to like the internet and different worldview and that sort of thing, it's more uncommon now amongst youngsters um, and more so common in people that are older. But again, it's strange that an entire culture kind of be gripped and when you kind of export that now to the uk and you think how many people say oh you're going to catch a death if you go out like that because it's, it's catch, literally just catch like... a death a cold you know it's, yeah it's yeah yeah this is what like i mean going it's out strange, with wet hair it? and stuff like that yeah and in actual fact it's like there's no evidence of that no. what's interesting about the story you said though is yeah like you said that it's a whole culture and so much so that the fans have actually got a function to prevent the long running because of that you know, so it's actually seeped into a way of the actual function of a product. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like manufacturers have changed the way in which they produce products in order to accommodate what is a phobia. What I was going to say, just to kind of wrap up, is I wonder if because of COVID we're going to see, are we are we going to see kind of like an increase in potential fears of phobia because, you know, we have had a couple of years. There's going to be the start of a generation who have lived a lot of their life in an early lockdown. Yeah. You know, yeah. and 
some people are still choosing to do that. There are some people obviously still vulnerable who are, who are locking away. And I wonder if there's going to be a fear around, because we've seen it here. And, and, and again, not saying that this condition isn't bad, but, you know, we've, we've seen the monkeypox yeah. um, stories run around. And already it's like before where it would be like a footnote in a paper, it's like the headline and you get three or four stories about it yeah. and it's running on news. And, and are we now, I just wonder if the way the last couple of years and who knows what the next year's got in store, are going to maybe cultivate an element of fear in, in, in this section of society. Yeah, I think very much so, because I think that when you look at the fact that people have been locked up, I think that probably social anxieties and phobias are yeah. definitely more prominent now than they ever were two years ago. And I think that there's probably evidence to suggest that it's bucked a trend in terms of increases. Um, and I think that, yeah, moving forward, there is going to be like almost a sense of fear and panic around any new story now. So I don't know what it was as well. I don't know if it was way in which maybe COVID had an effect on us because do you remember the first stories where it was like, oh, you see COVID super spreader in Brighton infected four people. Yeah. And then, you yeah. know, we were getting people out and then progressively it got much worse. So will people now, if there are ever instances of anything like this now moving forward in the media, like with you said with monkeypox, will the reaction now be just to that immediate step when everybody in the country was genuinely fearful about COVID. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting times, interesting times. It is indeed. Well, I think that's all I had. Anything else from you? No, no. Skipping over, apart from the fact that I don't fear nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we'll have to win because you are literally sitting in the pitch pitch black now, haven't you? You haven't got the light on and well, we've been talking so long <laughs> that if it wasn't for the laptop glow, yeah. <laughs> See, it's a good thing yeah. that I'm not fearful of the dark if you could see me on screen right now. <laughs> so let's end there. Is there is there anyone anything you want to say before we go? No, no, I don't think so. I've already turned around and gave a shout out to my girlfriend, so you know, I feel like she'll <laughs> appreciate that one. <laughs> yeah, if if you've liked what you've heard and you've got any comments on this, let us know. If you want to be on the show or suggest any ideas, you can get us at Casting Views on Twitter. The email is castingviewspod at gmail.com. We've had a busy couple of weeks. We've moved our platform. I think as of today, the recording today, we're fully moved over. And thankfully, it looks like it's all gone okay. So if you were subscribed before, just check if you're still subscribed. And if you're not, just push that little button right now. That says subscribe. <laughs> do it now. But the other big news is, I'm actually going to do it once we get off this recording, Lou, is our merch shop is going live. By the time you hear this, it'll have been live for a week. So you can get... A, a shower curtain, a duvet, a bag, or a mug with our mugs on it. <laughs> our logos Thanks for mugs. putting everyone off immediately. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, fuck that. <laughs> it's amazing what you can get a picture of us on. So we've got, you can get a pet bandana or a cat mat if you want. So if you want your cat to sleep, to sleep or wipe their feet on us, you can. Yes, have a look. It, it's kind of a little bit of fun, but it's, if, if you fancy supporting the pod, it, it's there. We'll put the details in the show notes. Yeah, otherwise, like and subscribe. And we know there's a lot of podcasts from which you can choose. So we thank you for listening to Casting Views. 